0: People were prepared to break the law to have their hair done, and hairdressers were prepared to break the law to do their hair. Um, You'll hear by the noise. He's a French bulldog.
1: Oh, yeah, there it is. Right on cue. That was beautiful. Broadcasting from Essex, it's the 5th of July. And you're listening to Salonomics. The Bitcoin price is currently $35,000. $1 gets you roughly 2,700 Satoshis. I'm your host, Aaron Dawn. Unfortunately, there is no Joe Memmett today because he's probably out walking the dogs. Never mind about that. We have a special episode today uh, where I welcome onto the show uh, Mr. Edward Hemmings. Uh, you may know him from his presenting time on the fellowship stages at trade shows all over the world. But he's also the creative director of Allen D. Hairdressing and has worked in the industry for nearly 30 years. And he's got some really interesting insights into why he loves the industry, um, education, apprenticeships. So we kind of get involved in all of these kind of aspects. It's quite nice to talk to Edward. He's such a professional. He's ever the diplomat. And I really want to thank Edward for coming on because it was really interesting for me to not only get his insights on uh, the education side of our industry, uh, but also his general feelings about the future of it, some of the challenges that we face. um, Yeah, it's a great little show, very insightful, uh, and I hope you enjoy it. This is The Problem with Apprentices, Salonomics 41A with... Edward Hemmings. Yeah, so welcome to Salonomics, Edward. Um, I really appreciate you joining me um, with with the show today. Um, I just really wanted to just get a little bit, if you could just explain to our audience who you are, where you've come from, and, and then we'll move on.
0: Sure. Um, th- first of all, obviously, Aaron, I've known you for an awful long time, and uh, thank you so much for inviting me on today. My name's Edward Hemmings from Allen d Hairdressing Education, We've got two schools of hairdressing, one in the city in Farringdon, one up in Suffolk in Ipswich. Um, I've been in the industry for 29 years, so next year will be 30 years, Um, right the way through from basic training, salon apprentice, if you like, uh, junior junior stylist, stylist, salon manager, and I went into full-time education about 15 to 20 years ago, I suppose, really, just as a new millennium came I, I became a full-time educator um but i still i still work i still once twice a week have clients as well so i'm i'm on that side as well i know what gotcha. clients so yeah you know, i've got a, an eye on e- each part of the industry
1: really perfect um yeah i mean so so you, you're not involved in working in the salon anymore where, where do you do your clients alan uh, Edward, we, sorry. Yeah, maybe that logo is confusing <laughs> in the background. Maybe it is. I bet you get that all the time, right?
0: Look, we, we do. I've worked, my, my dad celebrated 60 years last year. Unfortunately, we had to do an online thing because of what went on. So, you know, oh. we've worked together 30 years. And actually, you become so associated with a brand that, that it's become a bit of a joke. There, there's some quite big names that we always make a, make a joke of it. So, <laughs> no, no offence taken.
1: No, apologies. Not, i must Um, do better um but yeah so so where do you do your clients then so you're still cutting clients hair which is great to hear why why do you choose to do that it
0: it it comes for two reasons okay i think we we're very lucky we've got big space in london enough that that i've got room to work from there Uh, i had a few clients i've always done and i enjoy keeping my hands in it and and one of our stylists didn't return after lockdown she's um She's very much of an age, she's just had a hip operation and all, and all things that stopped her coming back. And I've taken over this wonderful clientele. But what it also does, it makes me understand what people are wanting. And therefore, when it comes to ensuring that our curriculum is working, it's current, it does what it does, I feel I'm able to, to put my sort of hairdresser hat on and say, right, this is what we need to do. It's also great for our young, apprentices in our school to see some real work going on there's a sense of responsibility to behave to act like a salon you know the awarding bodies want a realistic working environment and that's absolutely what we've created so I I do it because I love it but I, I also think it's really important for what we teach
1: yeah yeah it's a great point um this this idea of hairdressing takes you down many different pathways and and it really is a skill that you need to cultivate and you need you know it's like golfers isn't it yeah there's going to be some talent in there but you still need to hone that talent don't you you still need to understand your skill sets and keep your eye in in a way so you know it's like it's like in with governing bodies they do this thing cpd and um you know it's for the college educators they have to get that real world um practice in every year right um so yeah, it it's great that you know you're still on the floor and you're still cutting and you're coming from both sides of the of the fence. So it's been
0: I think C P D is yeah, it's great it needs to be done, but there's C P D and there's actually getting off getting up and doing it. Yeah. And I think that's big big difference um i I think it's important all of my team we we generally won't take apprentices in during december time because the salons are busy so that's the time that the rest of my team spend a month basically being fully booked doing hairdressing right um so you know it, it is important you've got to keep you've got to be um, aware of what's going on in the industry i'm really sorry my my dog has decided to join the Hello,
1: mate. oh dogs are the bane of me i was hosting a podcast with joe the other day and his dog was snoring in the background um, okay so yeah no we're quite used to it no we're we're we're, we're, we're very encouraging of a of, of dog talk on this in fact that gives okay. give joe some comment uh, what what type of dog is it mate um, you're here by the noise he's a french bulldog <sniffs> oh yeah there it is right on yep. cue that was beautiful but i'm i'm going to isolate that that's going to be the beginning of the the podcast <laughs> him, him <laughs> snorting <Hold on. laughs> it was a good point get down good boy. Yep. <laughs> don't, worry. don't worry there's no editing going to be going on We're, we'll keep all that that's that's the gold that is the gold that people tune in for Edward, it makes kind of stuff yeah um so then um so, yeah, we did meet, didn't we? We met um, properly, I suppose, even though I've known about you for years, your work with a fellowship and uh, and obviously for association through Lee and, and other people like that. But we actually met, I think, for real at a City and Guilds meeting in, um, in Farringdon many years ago. This was during my time at the MH Fed. Do you remember that? Where we all That's... had to sit around and, yeah. and be taught how to write questions. Yeah. And uh... I don't know if you've got any um, ideas about that whole thing, but I must admit for me personally, it really was an opportunity for me to get into the belly of the beast, to really understand how the curriculum works. Um, And yeah, it it was really my first introduction of how administrative, how bureaucratic and, and how, what's a, what's a very diplomatic way of me saying something quite profound, but not offending half of the people I know in the industry? There just isn't one. I just felt a lot of it was nonsense, uh, Edward.
0: I, I think you've got to, fr- from an education side, I think you have to understand that there's got to be standards set now. Come to my school and many others, we're teaching a very, very high standard of practical education. There are other education facilities that aren't and need a basic tick box level at which to start with. Sure. And therefore those questions and and all of the fluffy stuff that doesn't make you a great hairdresser is important because you need knowledge. So I understand why they're there. But yeah, absolutely. To us working hairdressers, you're sitting around thinking, of what on earth am I doing here? Is this what it's come to? So I think it, it, they're, it, they're there for a reason. But it is difficult to explain that to someone who just wants to teach hairdressing and for a young, haird- young hairdresser who just wants to be a hairdresser.
1: Absolutely. My point. Yeah. Um, The hairdresser gets into the game. You've got to imagine a 16 year old coming out of school for the first time. The last thing they want to be doing is being put back in the classroom and learning all about the science and health and safety aspects of it. Do you know what I mean? They want to actually leave school, have a bit of fun. They want to learn how to do Beyonce's latest style or Cardi B's latest style. And yet they have to go through all this administration for a few months before they can actually get their hands on anything. And it must be very frustrating because obviously uh, myself, Joe, lots of many, many super successful hairdressers I know, none of them come through the college system. They all come through the old school apprentice system. And this was exactly why I wanted to get you onto the show today because obviously, um, you posted something on LinkedIn uh, the other day. Do you want to just explain what it was that you posted on LinkedIn? Obviously, for the layman that know, you know, because it's my belief that the problem that you're pointing out is is a similar issue in many other industries. And with our podcast Salonomics, we we try and we try and explain economics. But from that fundamental level, how it affects salons, because obviously everyone knows a hairdresser. Everyone's got someone in the family that works in hair and beauty. Do you know what I mean? So I think explaining economics and how business and GDP and all that works from a salon perspective, I think gives us a great indicator of what's going on in the world. So can you explain to uh, our audience you know, what it was that you put up on LinkedIn um, and you know, the reasons for it?
0: Well, it was actually, it was personal. Um, our boy would, would has, has left school, if you like, officially. He's he, he's almost 16. He would have done GCSEs had we been in a normal year. And you get a letter from HMRC that tells you that uh, because um, X is leaving school, he's going to have a number of choices. And, and these number of choices include XYZ. But if you do XYZ, you may lose your... Um, you may lose, lose child benefits. And that got me thinking. It got me thinking back to a couple of years ago when someone drew this to my attention, but this was actually personal. We got the letter. Now, let me put this out here. Thank, thank goodness we're blessed. What, what he chooses to do the next stage of his life isn't going to be stopped by child benefits. So, you yeah, know, but I, I'm very lucky. And it got me thinking, if I was caught in a poverty trap, And by my child making a decision to go into an apprenticeship, not a full-time college course, and I'm gonna lose child benefits, possibly working tax credits and other benefits, what's my decision gonna be? Let him or her start their new career and not feed the rest of my kids? Or I'm really sorry, mate, you're gonna have to try it at college. Not knowing, of course, that really, the apprentice route is the route into industries like hairdressing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah. So, so there, there is this like issue with with low income families, right? Um, and from from my understanding of it, a low income family could potentially, um, yeah, restrict their young, the young people in the, in the family from it actually going out and getting a rewarding career because by them merely choosing something that they're going to get paid whether it be minimum wage salary whether it be an apprentice salary that will essentially come off the family coffers so you can understand from that young person's point of view why the incentive disappears i mean obviously it's very hard for someone like I, uh, myself joe and people that went through the apprentice um, route because obviously when we first started our careers, we were earning a pound an hour, do you know what I mean? So it's very, very hard for us to understand, um, you know, these difficulties now, but obviously once again, it, it does come back to this centralization of government and government interfering in education to such an extreme that every decision made by the government has an unintended consequence.
0: I think you're, you're absolutely correct. It doesn't allow for individuality. But then of course, I'm, you know, if you've, if you've got 66 million people in a, in a country, they've got to be certain, certain rules. And what's been interesting that at the moment, it, it, it's such a new thing, and I posted this weekend, I'm just collecting all the anecdotal evidence. So where I sit at the moment is quite possibly if you added the apprentice wage back to the family pot if you like the 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 mum or dad or carer who loses the benefits actually won't have lost any net money right so it may just be a it's what they think might happen rather than what may happen again i'm still I'm, i'm i'm getting lots of messages continuously Um, so i need to work out whether is a fear that it might happen whether it's actual and then as you said economics really look into what benefits are being lost what money's coming in for an apprentice wage will they have to pay for travel because you forget that out of 120 quid a week perhaps a kid coming into town might be paying 90 quid a week in transport so therefore there isn't the money to put back into the family pot so i think there's there's lots of there's lots of things going to take me a few weeks to to, to put together. But I think the worst, sorry, the best case scenario is people are being put off without even investigating it. Mm. It's just, a no, you're not going to start a job. You're going to have to go to college.
1: Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a good point, because obviously. When, when it comes to doing an apprenticeship um and things like that you know it's this test of attitude which is so important to begin with so if already the kid is under some kind of threat from their parents and I mean threat in a very mild sense of the word you know like you know you can't do this you can't go and follow your dream because of x I mean obviously back in our day I remember when I went to work at 16 straight away uh, I had to pay my dad rent do you know what I mean? It was like 20% of my salary went to my old man at 16 for rent. Do you know what I mean? So um, it it is interesting to, to see how nuanced these things are when it comes to salons, apprentices, governing bodies, training providers, and all those things. And and it, it is a big it is a big issue, I think, because obviously um, I don't know if you heard the last show we did, uh, Salonomics, but we did a show just recently where we 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 tuned into the, the government debate surrounding the VAT, uh, the removal yeah. of VAT, you know, the cut the VAT thing. Um, and for me personally, listening to the thing, it was very hard to understand where these people were coming from because obviously VAT, is only taken once you hit a certain threshold if the public haven't got the money or the disposable income to even visit the salon to begin with then all these vat issues are, you know they're not an issue do you know what i mean so there is something going on with like i say like apprentices entering the industry you know why is that being suffocated but and that was something that some of the mps were pointing out during that, you know, that apprentices are an all time low. Um, and I just wonder, Alan, how much do you think to do, is that to do with over the last year marketing wise? You know, we've, we, as an industry we've been labeled as non-essential. So is this well, something Is this something that you've noticed in the last two years since COVID or has this uh, been a gradual decline over say the last 10, 20 years that you've been working in education?
0: I think it's been a gradual decline, generally, because 20-odd, 20-plus years ago, uh, 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 the the government under Tony Blair decided that every child was going to university. So that created a whole generation of kids who would turn their back on vocational industries such as ours. I think more recently, the COVID situation has been unbelievable. Let Let me throw this at you, and I love this. People were prepared to break the law to have their hair done, and hairdressers were prepared to break the law to do their hair. What other industry was that highly thought of and that missed that people were prepared prepared to break the law? So actually, I think our industry has gone, you know, really skyrocketed in importance.
1: Are you tired with having to compete with the internet on price? Well, Go Salon created a system that means you don't have to. Go Salon is a web app that enables professionals to provide a user friendly online ordering system for not only their services but for their expert recommendations. Go Salon gives you four more opportunities to recommend your favorite retail products to your clients. Go Salon increases the amount of products that you can sell to your customers. You can sell those products to your customers for the same price as the internet with no extra work. Go Salon is open 24-7 and is found on your client's home screen sell whatever whenever to whoever you want it's so simple to set up just go to gosalon.uk, enter your email address reserve your namespace and we will do the rest do it today become part of the retail revolution go salon make retail easy hmm. yeah it's a great point
0: what i think has happened with apprentices is that there are barriers stepped along the way. They supposedly put the school leaving age up to 17 a couple of years ago. They didn't really, they didn't really do that. What they did was you could leave school if you were going on to an apprenticeship, except schools forgot to add that bit of detail. So they kidded everyone you had to stay at school because they wanted the funding for the additional year. I think what it is, it needs us as an industry to come together with a cohesive argument and and cohesive argument. Number one, that we've done our figures and people are losing benefits and therefore we need this to stop. Or number two, what we're doing is frightening people into thinking they're going to lose their benefits and therefore we need a cohesive voice to tell people, actually, don't worry, mum and dad your kids going to be on x y z it's going to go back into your family pot and you'll actually be in a better place and don't worry because in 2 years time your son or daughter is going to be earning money on the salon floor as a busy working stylist
1: mm. yeah it's very interesting i mean as you know i'm a very much a free market maximalist and you know it's interesting you saying there about you know tony blair wanting everyone to go to university but also I'll bring you back to the point in 1997 when the minimum wage came in and obviously I've written a lot of blogs about this um over the last year especially because obviously we've all been locked down and and, and and I and I think everyone's had the opportunity to do their own research and to really kind of think outside the box about things but we had the minimum wage in 97 and that essentially I'll give you my little story so I used to be an assistant at Stafford's you know back in very early 2000s and we had one apprentice per stylist. There was like 10 super busy stylists. Out of those 10 apprentices that were in that salon, nine became fully fledged successful hairdressers running a column. When minimum wage came in, the next salons that I started working at, it was like there was one assistant for three stylists. The other seven stylists, uh, seven apprentices, sorry, all then was taken up by the local college. And it's no surprise that over the coming years, not a lot of those that went to the college ended up being a successful hairdresser. So my question to you is, is this government interference actually (coughs) killing the industry long-term? Like are we in the middle of a really slow motion car crash here or do you think this is you know, this is the bureaucracy, you know, that, that all of the education centers uh, are thriving on. The,
0: the, the, nat- the national minimum wage is difficult. The apprentice wage is difficult. It, it's, it's, it's added money. Um, how do we put it? If you're learning to be a pilot, you're going to pay about 50 or 100 grand to become a pilot we're one of the only industries that you learn whilst you're on the floor and actually I mean I've had it in the past where where, where a slightly older apprentice has said well I tell you what don't pay me I don't want money I want to come and work with you and I want to that's against the law so they can't even say I don't want to be there this is the the strange thing so in fact of course the national minimum wage is a strangle on getting young people into the industry coupled it with then because they're only that national minimum wage 90 percent of which is going to go on travel and a sandwich every day mum and dad lose benefits at the other end so in fact it is you know it, it gets you whichever way by the same token yes i'm a capitalist and yes i Perhaps will be a right leaning voter I do also understand that we we do need to have a safety net to help those as well
1: yeah I absolutely agree I absolutely agree um, I, I guess my next question to this is really um, how do we how do we navigate the next few years because oh. it's all very well the government taxpayers contributing, spending lots of money on these education systems. However, if the salons aren't in existence in order for these apprentices to be conveyor belted into, what's the point? So it's a chicken you, I... or egg. It's a chicken or egg question, isn't it? It's like, okay, so do we do we improve the training, or do we actually make the wages that hairdressers can earn? Because my point here is, we shouldn't be we shouldn't be uh, campaigning to cut the VAT. We should be compa- campaigning to eliminate the VAT, because if you compare our industry, Edward, with a lot of other industries which are time based, there's no VAT paid for someone that's a a a psychotherapist, psychoanalyst, anybody that works in health and wellness, they aren't having to pay VAT. In hair and beauty, for some reason, we're in the retail bucket, whereas our industry is completely the opposite of retail because a retailer can sell 100 products in an hour and have to pay 20% on all 100 products. Me as a hairdresser, I can do one client Two clients, if I'm lucky, in an hour, and I'm able to pay 20% a lot of replicating fee on my time. And when I tell you that financial advisors, insurance brokers, artists, chefs, none of those are charged VAT, Edward, why do we have to pay it at all?
0: Easy target. We, We were always seen as an easy target. We were a cash business in the main back in the day. We probably weren't clever enough when we were driving around in in the flash cars and the gold
1: watches. Yeah, Joe, and this is this is you, Joe. This is this is a message to Joe <laughs> Momet, the uh, co-host.
0: And I think the government looked at us therefore as an easy target. We were also so disparate; we didn't have one voice talking for us, one voice shouting. Yeah, we've always had this. We we need to be state registered. We need to be state registered. But actually, uh, you know, uh, my my view on that was always uh, it didn't really mean anything because you just sign a piece of paper and pay 50 quid.
1: Mm.
0: So uh, for that reason, we became a very easy target for government. Say, right, let's slap a 20 percent VAT because if you're not paying taxes, we'll get you another way. Mm. Because you're right. How can you charge VAT on an aesthetic? Yeah, it doesn't work. But unfortunately, it's an easy target.
1: Yeah, I mean, my point is, um, and my point has always been this, since about 2011, 2012, when I wrote this original blog about the state of the high street and the future of the high street. Now, I was very hurt by the last financial crisis. Um, And, you know, our industry as a session hairdresser was absolutely decimated for about three or four years, you know, where money just disappeared from the industries. And we was all scratching around. We didn't have any advertising jobs. There was people like you know, Eugene, Duffy, Guido, that were hoovering up all of the work that we used to do. Do you know what I mean? Because a lot of the work that they were doing had disappeared as well. A lot of the shows that we were all doing and being paid very well for disappeared for many years. So in light of that, and in light of what's happening now with COVID, my fear is that we are essentially... We are we are killing the industry for the sake of like VAT and being in these sustainable groups and you know being uh, registered, uh, put on um, you know the uh, the hair and barber councils get registered license. All of that stuff is completely irrelevant to the public. They look at your Instagram page and they say, "Oh, is he competent?" When they turn up to your house or your salon or wherever they turn up to. First impressions is what the customer relies on to, to understand whether none of these bits of papers, cows in the window, good salon guide here. Do you know what I mean? I think all that's a very antiquated and out-of-date service in a modern internet economy and world.
0: It Look, a, a client wants a great service in a safe environment and they want their hair to look great. That's, that's the end of the day what they want. Yeah, I do accept we need some form of a license, I, I genuinely, because you're using sharp scissors, you're using um, tools, you're using chemicals, and actually, truthfully, your insurance is, your, is just as good as any other registration. Let's be perfectly honest, because mm. if you've got the requisite qualification, you're not gonna get insured. Um, the high street, um, I, I honestly believe the high street's gonna be secure. I, I genuinely believe that central London, the city where we are, is decimated. Um, Aaron it's tough it's really quiet but I've got to tell you the salons we're working with on on, on, in local high streets they're doing okay those that set out their business correctly those that paid their taxes correctly were looked after the last 18 months the barbering industry was up in arms because in many cases they didn't do things by the books and then all of a sudden when it came to payout time there was nothing because they didn't have an actual business to be helped so you've got to no one wants to pay taxes, Perf- let's be perfectly honest, no one's going to voluntarily say, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you a load of my money for nothing. But actually, we're all entitled to play our part during those better times so that during the lean times we can be helped.
1: Yeah, it's just I don't believe it's it's proportionate, Edward. No. Um, you know, I did a deep dive on it and someone earning £20,000 in our industry is essentially um, paying a 33% tax uh, rate. Right. Um, And I can explain the figures, uh, how I get to that. It's because every single haircut that I did at the last salon, the the government earned more money out of that haircut than I did. And if you want to kill someone's incentive to move on and move up in the industry, it's that. It's this unfair and unjust tax rate that hairdressers are in. And and like you say, um, we we was an easy target back in the the good old days in the 80s. Um, But... I've got a chart that I would, uh, I'd like to share with you. And it really does show the impact of inflation on our industry. Um, And it's something that's really helped me formulate my whole mindset around this, but I'm kind of conscious that we've already been uh, talking uh, for about 35 minutes on this already. So I don't want to take up too much of your time, Edward, but, but yeah. So, so what do you think is the solution to all this? Like where do you think we're going? Because I agree with you. I think, High streets are, should be safe. They're just going to become entertainment zones, restaurants, uh, hair salons, coffee shops. All of those things will still exist on the high street. Retail, maybe not so much. Maybe salons have to collaborate with retailers to do uni- offer unique experiences. I'm not worried about hairdressing per se because we're not we're not vulnerable to robots or to AI or any of that for at least exactly. another ten years. And and for any kid. Wanting to get involved in an industry which is going to be secure and safe for the next decade at least Hairdressing is, is is an amazing industry to be involved in.
0: We we can knock out AI straight away and robots and I'll tell you the reason why They've created cars that can that can drive autonomously. Yeah, occasionally they crash you're surrounded by metal and airbags If your robot slips those scissors, you're not surrounded. You're gonna have your throat cut. So actually AI and it's not going to happen. Not for hundreds of years, genuinely. It's more likely that everyone will be shaving their heads at home with a pair of clippers than robots will take over doing our job. Also, hairdressers, hairdressers we've got to understand our clients are coming, aren't coming to us for a haircut. We're all bloody good hairdressers. We're all good hairdressers. They're coming to us because they want to talk to someone. They want to have a chat with someone. They want to just be out of their environment with someone who cares about them specifically at that time. Now, here's the other great thing. um, Hairdressing should rebuild a high street. People don't go to Costa Coffee just because they're having a coffee. But people will go there if they're going to the hairdressers because they want to take a coffee in with them. They might stop next door at the flower shop, pick up a birthday card, so actually, people come to a high street specifically for hairdressing, which is very unusual to most other types of industries.
1: Yeah, so the future is, is looking bright for hairdressing, but yeah. not necessarily bright for certain areas of, of the hairdressing industry. Who do you think is responsible um, for the decline in 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 let's say average wage, let's say average wage of, of hairdressers because obviously I've got some data that shows stacking shelves in a Tesco is actually probably more profitable and less risky than being a hairdresser at the moment, so. Okay,
0: I, I, I can take two ends, of, two ends of the spectrum. The person stacking shelves in Sainsbury's for example is on a fixed wage and will be on a fixed wage for life, maybe inflation might might take. Take this, take the same kid who's then become a hairdresser, who's done the two, three years hard work, who's good at what they do, those earnings are absolutely limited. And and no names, but we work with some great salons where some of the salon, where, where some of the hairdressers are only more than footballers. So actually, I don't think there's a limit. You talk to a great hairdresser, and I'm not talking the physical cutting hair, coloring hair, but the hairdresser that's got the package, knows how to look after someone, knows how to cherish their time with someone. Their wages are limit, lim- limitless. And don't kid yourself, there may be one or two high-end London salons. Beyond that, up and down the country, prices are pretty similar. The best hairdressers in the best towns are all charging 60 70 £80 a haircut up and down the country.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it, it truly is a free market, isn't it? Hairdressing, you can charge however much you want. And that person Correct. is charging 350 pounds or charging 35 pounds. There's Correct. not really much difference in probably the technique, um, you know, the actual um, service they're getting, but they can charge it. And it's and, and it's their, you know, it's their, I suppose it's their prerogative to do that. And if you can earn, earn a wage, you know charging whatever you want then surely that's got to be good for the future of the industry right
0: definitely and we're still seeing continuous adverts stylists required um there was a bit of a shakeout we we do know from talking to people that that quite a lot of hairdressers went a bit underground during lockdown and as they came out decided they're not going to return to salons but there is still cool people not every not everyone wants a haircut at home or in someone's home there's still clients out there who enjoy the experience of being with other people and being in a nice you know a a noisy environment with you know there's something for everyone so you've got to know your market get your market right but i think as an industry we're gonna be okay we just need to help these youngsters in and help them make the right decision and take the barriers away which is really why i kind of picked up on this
1: yeah so then edward the question was why is nobody hiring apprentices is there anything else that you think people maybe aren't looking at um people maybe misunderstand is there another reason is there another thing out there that you can see that is stopping salons from hiring apprentices because obviously we've had an announcement this week that the government are gonna top up the apprenticeship I can't remember what they've called it, but they've topped it up from 2,000 pounds a year, 3,000, like um, a little kind of, you know, golden handshake to take They're on wrong. an approach.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, no, that, that's good. That's been happening and it's been very helpful. I, I think the, the other factor is sometimes, you know, who, what are you gonna choose? You're 16 years old, right? What are you gonna choose? 80 hours a week on your feet, being shouted at, mum and dad lose benefits. 15 hours a week, two, three days of college, few hours a day each day at college, free to work in JD sports to earn a few quid. And that way mum and dad still don't lose the benefits. In fact, you could probably earn more money as a part-time worker in a store whilst you're at college doing hairdressing. So I think that's the other factor. We've got to excite young people and say Mm. to them, you know something, you're you're not gonna get that dream hairdressing job doing two days a week at college. You're gonna get that dream hairdressing job working your butt off for a couple of years on the job, watching and learning. So I think it's up to, I really think it's up to us to start engaging. I'm going to be looking at looking at this, this benefits issue over the next couple of weeks. I brought it to the attention of Gavin Williamson, the Secretary of State for Education, a couple of years ago. I got in front of the Department for Education a couple of times and and I'm going to try and do that again, Um, even if it's to say that actually looking at it. books do balance you lose benefit here but there's the apprentice wage to cover it so in which case how can we get together as an industry to then educate the parents don't be fearful don't be fearful we're going to look after this young person and we're going to give them a career we're going to give them enough of earnings to take you out of that poverty trap you're in because it's such a wonderful career we're offering them
1: gotcha gotcha so the other alternative, obviously, is to um, gift hairdressers, Ferraris and Porsches, so that when the kids leave school and they see mum and dad turning up in a Ferrari and Porsche, it's like, what does that guy do? He's a hairdresser, (laughs) right?
0: That's that's the other thing. You know the best thing? You never ever find an unemployed hairdresser. You never find a
1: hairdresser. Very, very true. On that note, Edward, I think we've covered a lot of ground in uh, 35, 40 odd minutes. Um, do you wanna let my audience know where they can find you and um, yeah, anything else you wanna add?
0: Thank you so much, Aaron. A great place to start is Edward Hemmings on LinkedIn, Alan D. Hare on Instagram and TikTok. We've just hit 30,000 followers and 20 plus million views on TikTok.
1: Not bad, and, not
0: bad. Um, all, 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 all links back to our to our website and uh, our schools in Farringdon and in Ipswich and of course you know it, I always like to talk and if anyone needs any help at all just just find us always happy to help out if we can.
1: So if you're looking for um, a career in hairdressing then check out Alan D on the internet uh, there's a good place to start They will give you any information and you're not just uh, you're not just in London you did say you're in Suffolk as well is that correct?
0: Yeah, absolutely. We're in Ipswich in Suffolk.
1: Perfect. When you come into Essex?
0: Well, do you know something? It, actually, the, the, we, we tend to find that Colchester upwards goes to Ipswich, Chelmsford downwards come into, come into London. London is still has such, a, such a, a, a cachet, doesn't it? I mean, it's, it's strange now because most towns out on the outskirts of London are much busier than London. But people still get excited by London.
1: Yes, the bright lights, big city. All right, then, Edward, <laughs> look, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, so the format is uh, I'm going to uh, release a new Salonomics podcast this week. Uh, Joe, I'm going to send Joe the video. He's going to look. He obviously coming from the like, like we discussed earlier, from the independent, sovereign hairdress and salon owner perspective. And hopefully he can give us some some of his insights on this whole question, because I think this is going to run and run. Uh, and yeah, good luck with everything, Alan. Um, did it again, didn't I? Did it again. Sorry, Ed, Edward. Edward Hemmings, you're a legend. Good to see you, sir. I hope to meet you again in person very soon.
0: I look forward to it. Thanks a lot, mate. Take care.
1: All the best. Cheers, mate. God bless. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Right, how was that? Um, I hope that you enjoyed that show. Um, so, the plan is I'm going to release this one first. This one's going to be 41A. Um, Joe's seen the video. He's got some um, funny anecdotes. And you know what? He, he's even bringing some real data uh, to the next show. So, what I'll do is I'll release this one as soon as possible. Uh, once you've heard this one, I'll release Joe's version, which will be almost um, a right to reply. Not necessarily, but you know what I mean. Joe's going to have his say on. On uh, some of the points that Edward brings up so it's all going to be fascinating stuff thanks for Edward for joining us again uh, and for being such a good sport um, even though I called him Alan at least twice during the interview apologies again for that so I'd be really intrigued to hear your thoughts uk, or reach out to us via any social media you want I'm sure Joe's on it monitoring it all the time um, But it's fascinating. What do you think? You know, are salons being penalised for bringing their own apprentices through the ranks? You know, where are the incentives for young people um, in this college education system? Where is the inspiration? Who is responsible for this decline? I mean, there's just so many questions that need discussing, really, so we can at least all agree that something's not right and some things need to change. What I do know as a free market maximalist, Too many rules spoil the broth.